This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Real Estate is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Hi, I'm Parag Sarva, and I'm the CEO of Rhino. And what I love about real estate is how tangible it is and uh, how it connects to every single person uh, in some way, shape, or fashion because they've all been involved, period. Sheryl Sandberg famously stated, careers are a jungle gym, not a ladder. Even with that said, how does working as a policy advisor in the New York City Mayor's office and as part of an online dating startup prepare you to become a real estate industry disruptor? You'll find out this along with a prediction on a potential 2020 presidential candidate. From New York City, you're listening to Real Estate Is Your Business, powered by Preview, a smart online real estate brokerage providing expert advice without the high fees. With real estate tech entrepreneur Thomas Kutzman and business development expert Scott Pollock. Hi, Parag. Thanks, uh, thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here. Parag, you aren't the typical real estate tech entrepreneur you didn't go to Stanford. You didn't start something in your early to mid twenties. You've your career has taken a sort of journey, and tell us a little bit about the journey of how you came to eventually reach being the CEO of Rhino. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess you know the my first reaction is or was to say that I, in retrospect, I think that's why it works because real estate is a very old industry. Uh, and a lot of people who are very established and very sharp have been doing it for a long time and have learned a lot about the various complexities in the marketplace for every participant, whether you're a renter or a broker or a land, landlord um, or some other professional connected to the space. Um, and, you know, I, I think um, so it makes a lot of sense uh, uh, for what we're trying to do in the space right now. Um, but personally, I think um, that that sort of points to a broader, uh, uh, you know, development of of where I've come professionally, um, which, you know, if you asked me 10, 15 years ago whether, you know, I was going to be a startup founder, um, you know, I think emphatically the answer would have been no. I, it's not something I was like seeking. And I think a lot of people, um, you know, come view entrepreneurship or being, you know, sort of in the startup community as, um, uh, you know, something more like the television show, Silicon Valley, especially now after the television show, Silicon Valley. Um, whereas I think, you know, the impact for these deeper, more complex industries, um, is increasingly going to come from, uh, people like me who have spent 10 to 15 years doing a variety of things in industry and growing professionally um, and arriving at a place where they have certain skills, know-how, relationships, uh, and and vision for, um, you know, what what's possible and what should be possible. And how did that career start? Was was it? Did you begin in real estate? And and how did that sort of career transpire? Yeah, sure. More varied than that. So I'll I'll, I'll sort of give you my my. 60 second or two minute rundown is uh, I grew up in Queens. I'm a New York native. 
Um, I went to NYU. I did an undergraduate degree and a master's in economics there. Um, started my career actually in financial services, investment banking at Goldman Sachs. When I graduated um, for my master's in 2005, it was a very different world for financial services. It was like not just well-paid thing to do, but it was a popular thing to do. And it was appreciated as a universally hard thing to do. So I think, you know, that, that third point is still true. Uh, the first two are less true. So it's almost um, like a rite of passage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, so I spent two years there. I met my business partner, Ben, actually, who's a co-founder of Rhino with me at Goldman. Um, and it's something I would do again, absolutely, without a doubt, um, in terms of the, you know, sort of skills and, and learnings that I had from it. Um, but, you know, I knew pretty quickly that it wasn't, a fully encompassing end-all be-all for me professionally. Um, and so I left there after a couple of years to work for um, Mayor Bloomberg doing his uh, uh, second term at City Hall, um, where I worked for a guy named Ed Schuyler, who was the deputy mayor for operations at the time. Um, and, you know, for me, like what's been important, even just about, you know, that switch was just sort of getting closer and closer towards some sense of, you know, what's right in a, a professionally or in a career. Not necessarily knowing, you know, uh, ahead of the time what that was or what that meant, um, but it's just been about like, this isn't quite it, so let me try something different that may be closer to it. And how um, was how was the pub, uh, public policy arena different than your typical sort of investment banking finance world? Yeah, I mean, uh, in in many, many ways, I think one of the reasons I was sort of drawn to it is I've always been interested in sort of civic engagement and public service and politics and, um, you know, that sort of thing. But the real attraction for it was, you know, this guy, Mike Bloomberg, was in office and it was a very unique and special time to be part of really a group of business professionals that who, for the most part, you know, otherwise may not have committed you know, somewhere between two and 12 years, depending on how many terms you stayed for with him, um, of public service to the city of New York. And so it was really like interesting. Um, I think one of the takeaways that I got from it, you know, um, was an appreciation for the scale and breadth um, and complexity of uh, the city's operations. Um, you know, it's something like roughly 300,000 uh, people who are employed by the city of New York. It's a very, very large workforce. Um, and it's easy as a lifelong New Yorker to complain about, you know, cleanliness on the street or graffiti or, you know, anything and everything. Um, but uh, once you start to learn a little bit about how it ticks, um, uh, you know, I think you really, you really understand and appreciate those things differently. What kind of stuff were you working on within the administration? Yeah, sure. So I, I worked on um, a lot of environmental policy stuff um, and um, planning that came, uh, you know, really as part of the mayor's agenda for, uh, you know, what 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 is a greener, greater New York. So one of the things I worked on was the city solid waste management plan, actually, which, um, you know, speaking about street cleanliness was really about the city's long term capital plan to spend billions of dollars over 10, 15, 20 years um, on infrastructure to begin moving um, waste, literally garbage and recyclables from New York City households, curbs into sanitation garages onto barges um, to um, move them out of New York for ultimate you know, disposal at landfills or, or other places. As a New Jersey resident, um, should I just go and assume you sent it to New Jersey on those barges? Well, uh, it goes much further than that. But the big benefit for New Jersey was that 
without barges, they would all just roll out on, you know, 18 wheel tractor trailers through the Lincoln Tunnel and the Holland Tunnel through New Jersey, ultimately to the same landfills that are, you know, a few states south all from here. All roads lead through yeah. New Jersey yeah. for garbage. When you were looking at these sorts of policies and, and you sort of think about urbanization, you know, how did that sort of prepare you as you sort of think about where the real estate market's going and, and how this idea of urban living is changing. Yeah. I, you know, I think even, even beyond sort of the concept of, or, or before the concept of urban living, one, one sort of impact it's definitely had on me in, in terms of, uh, you know, how real estate works or how the city works is, you know, coalitions or consensus building or just understanding different stakeholders that are around a topic or around a issue. Um, and that is very much how, government, you know, tries to accomplish things or we try to accomplish things. Um, something like, you know, building a recycling facility in uh, uh, the meatpacking district or a waste transfer station on the Upper East Side are not topics that are taken lightly by, you know, neighborhood residents, for example. Um, and so it's really about a careful coalition building um, of those different stakeholders. Um, the, you know, more specific question around or comment around urban living, I mean, I think, um, what's, how, how should I answer it? I think, you know, <clears throat> primarily around how, how, how many sides of an issue there are, um, and how challenging each of those sides are, um, I think is, uh, you know, would be one of my principal takeaways. I don't know if I'm articulating that right. Um, how do you, how do you mean that exactly? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I guess um, if if you just take something which is you you know sort of hotly contested today, quite frankly, is you know the um, all of the um, uh, the lack of affordable housing in New York City, right? And you know the accompanying program that used to be a city state program for the four twenty one a tax abatements um, that are widely sort of debated and talked about, and and um, you know. Um, uh, that it's easy to have a view on it, whether you're, a, you know, an owner that is looking to bring more apartments and new development to New York City um, and needing some kind of additional incentive to make that equation work for you. But it's just as easy to, uh, you know, approach it from the other side and, and, and feel like you're a renter who, still, even after all these years of having an affordable housing, you know, sort of tax incentive in New York City, don't really feel the impact of that. Um, and, and it's just it's just because it's complicated. Um, and your yeah. next step after yeah. leaving the mayor's office was did you immediately say, like, oh, I've learned about public policy. I've been focused on the city. I'm going to go start Rhino with a, you know, old colleague or was there an in interim step? Yeah, no, I think I was actually a little more, you know, mixed and lost, uh, you know, at that point in time, you know, sort of, I knew I was, uh, ready to move on and had gotten, um, you know, everything I wanted. Um, and then some out of, um, you know, my experience, uh, experiences there I, for a time, I actually went back to Goldman Sachs, uh, and I spent, you know, almost a year there. Um, and it wasn't until like I was truly back inside the enterprise that I realized just how much things had changed from, you know, the whatever, five years prior when I was there. Just to put it um, into context, what years was it? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, uh, I was 05 to 07 and then 
you know, it was 2010. So it was post-crisis. That's the important so point. So the, the industry dramatically yeah. changed after that. Absolutely. I mean, and it was, um, it was just a very different sort of morality for, you know, the day-to-day, um, at least the way I internalized it. I mean, I quickly realized, you know, that was when I think I had my sort of most concrete aha around, you know, wanting to uh, work for a very small new company. Um, and so I uh, left within a year to join a online dating startup at the time, which was a venture back company called How About We. Uh, dot com uh, here in New York City. Sounds, sounds um, very different from uh, you know work from <laughs> Mayor Bloomberg. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I, and I, and it was also at the time when um, you know finance guys and girls uh, were not viewed as you know necessarily a valuable commodity for uh, startups. And so I um, you know knocked on a lot of doors and was just building my network and community and understanding the space. Um, and um, told, you know, the two founders of How About We that at the time that, you know, I would just quit and work for free um, in order to prove that I was committed and was not just, you know, some, you know, essentially finance loser um, that, you know, was feeling like the grass is greener. I mean, that's how I started actually at How About We. And how did you decide that How About We was a company that you were willing to commit your time for free? Was there something about the dating industry, about the team, or something else that drew you to them? Yeah, I mean, I think um, probably, you know, like like everything that, that sort of happens uh, in life, it was a bit organically, right? It's sort of, I started on a, on a crusade of essentially trying to figure out, like, how, how to make the switch from finance to a startup, and then, you know, a bunch of levels of dimensions around that, like, okay, which one, what industry, what role, all of those common questions that everyone would ask. Um, And just fortunately met um, uh, uh, the guys at How About We, you know, on that path. Um, And, you know, I think, I think for me, what's always been important, um, and, and fortunately, you know, having been through a bunch of different organizations at this point, you start to see, you know, what a lot of people say, but I don't think people necessarily always appreciate is just how important people are. Um, and, and by people, I mean, you know, the individuals that you are working with or working for day to day. Um, and, you know, just from the very first time I met Brian, who was one of the two co-founders of How About We, um, you know, there was definitely something compelling, engaging, you know, interesting about the path he was on. Um, you know, I would find for for many reasons later on for, you know, a whole host of reasons. But that but it ultimately was around, you know, who um uh i was working with and also obviously like the availability of an opportunity right that's like always has to be part of the equation so then what was the genesis of of starting rhino was it out of a specific frustration or what was what led to that launch yeah sure so it wasn't until after um uh i left how about we and spent uh you know i basically i had started getting more and more involved in real estate because um you know my family has some uh involvement in um real estate and property management here in new york city um and where i started um really for personal reasons looking for uh, uh, a place to live in Brooklyn. Um, actually, I was at the time I was living in the village, um, uh, in the NYU neighborhood still. And while I was at, how about we? And was looking to move into, um, you know, something like a finished condo. And you know, my father, who uh, moved here from India in 1972 um, as a chartered accountant, became a professional CPA. 
um, and really more than a CPA, just an amazing um, small business entrepreneur in his own right um, over the last 40, 40 some odd years, um, had put together a real estate portfolio with a whole bunch of partners and clients, had had advised me at the time, instead of, you know, going to, um, you know, give some other developer, you know, a few bucks to move into a finished, you know, apartment, because me, I had just recently gotten married, we we're looking for a little more space. Um, he had said, why don't, you know, why don't I help you? We'll do this together. And, 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 you know, um, that way you'll create some value at the same time as, you know, getting what you want. Um, and so what turned out to be, you know, where us, you know, I losing bids on finished condos that were moving ready, um, you know, in something like, I want to say January, February, 2011, um, uh, it ended up being, you know, a two and a half year ground up construction project, um, that I took on alongside, you know, my sort of day-to-day -day online dating job, um, uh, which was really the beginning of, 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 of how I really got involved in real estate. So, so instead of finding um, an apartment, you just decided, I'll build my own. Correct. Yeah. It's, you know, like everything, you know, not too dissimilar to how about we or how I got involved there. It was very opportunistic. It was good value, good project. And it was a considerably more fixer upper work than we had uh, been looking for at the time. Um, but it just made a lot of sense. Um, and, um, you know, I really enjoyed and loved the process, um, uh, you, you know, as, as that unfolded. Um, and then so then after I left How About We, I spent the better part of three, four years managing um, a multifamily real estate portfolio as an owner operator in the New York metro area. Um, and um, through that process, you know, being the guy or being a guy from, you know, working at an online dating venture back startup in Dumbo to, you know, what was a, uh, you know, stuck in time industry um, of a property management and ownership office in Queens, New York, um, was the sort of reconciliation of differences in time that, you know, I think was a, a lot of where, you know, this question, Tommy asked about, like, where did Rhino come from? It was through that experience of figuring out that business and figuring out how to move it into the next phase of, you know, growth that, um, uh, you know, Rhino sprang, I guess, if you will. And uh, and we're gonna we're gonna drill down deeper into into Rhino and and the business. Uh, but first, um, you know, a tradition on on this show, uh, you were kind enough to to bring a a snack for us uh, to enjoy, um, an opportunity to break bread and you know just sort of uh, hear more about it. Uh, so uh, you you said you brought something. Uh, for yeah, us to share I brought today? some donuts from Donut Plant. Nice. Uh, you know, for me, it's a uh, uh, opportunity to have excess uh, uh something i otherwise wouldn't have and and went in chelsea uh visit donut plant on 23rd street so i've heard of donut plant but i don't know that i've ever had their donuts what is so special about donut plant oh man you're in for a treat uh uh once i open the box you'll see uh there are no ordinary donuts uh everyone is different as indicated by this box here uh and it ranges from you know peanut butter and jelly is one of my old Old time favorites. Classic. I'm not sure if it's still in the box. Um, and then some the seasonal seasonal treats. I think there's like a pumpkin spice and an apple cider. Nice. Um, for me, it's as much about the shape of the donut as it is about the flavor flavors. When we return, you'll hear Parag tell us about how Rhino is solving a problem in an antiquated industry. Be right back. The superior audio quality on Mouth Media Network is powered by Sennheiser. 
And as a listener, you can receive a 25% discount on virtually any headphone, microphone, and other high-quality audio product available to purchase directly on the Sennheiser website. Just visit Sennheiser.com and enter the code MOUTHMEDIASEN, that's MOUTHMEDIA, S-E-N-N, at checkout. Keep up with the show on Instagram and Facebook at Real Estate Biz Show and with hashtag MouthMedia. Plus, check out all of the MouthMedia Network shows at MouthMediaNetwork.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Prak, thanks again for bringing these fantastic donuts. Like, Matt, this was my first time having donut plant, and it was it was a fabulous experience. Pretty good. So my pleasure. I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll finish uh, finish more of that later on. Yeah, there's only uh, about half a box left, but let's see how much more we get through. We were we were talking earlier about sort of how you came up with the idea from Rhino, from your your own sort of experience um, in the sort of property management area. How how would you describe Rhino? And what are you trying to solve? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, what Rhino is, is um, a replacement for security deposits um, for renters and landlords um, on, you know, a residential residential lease. So in lieu of a security deposit, a renter uh, at the time they sign a lease can um, instead sign up for Rhino and agree to pay us a small monthly fee, um, again, instead of a security deposit um, at the time they sign the lease. Um, and then we turn around to the landlord and insure them um, through a new insurance contract that we've written um, for all of the same types of things that you know they would have um, typically been covered by uh, uh, with a security deposit. So you know, it's damages, move out expenses, non-payment to rent, things like that. And so, just to confirm, when you say you're insuring the landlord, you're not just saying, "All right, it's a two thousand dollars security deposit. You pay me twenty bucks a month, and I'll pay you, landlord." $2,000? Is it something different than that? So, so, so really, you know, part of what, where, where Rhino comes from was, is, you know, everyone knows how challenging it is for renters. You know, I think that that everyone has that as just sort of a, a, a literal in-your-face thing is just sort of life, certainly in New York City, but most major metros these days, even around the world, not just in the U.S. Um, but what is less obvious is some of the challenges and pains, um, you know, for um, the owner side of the equation, and I think that's something from my own experiences um, over the last several years. Um, you know, I became more and more intimately familiar with um, being in the sort of owner property management um, role. Is that you know, security deposits are a topic that are just not not good for anyone. It's just it really does just represent you know an old world way of solving you know a very real issue um, around protecting an asset or protecting an apartment um, for an owner, um, but just needed. A better mousetrap, um, and so you know. To give you an example, Scott, you know the way the way you characterized it, and call it a three thousand dollar a month apartment. Um, in lieu of a three thousand dollar cash security deposit that a renter would pay, um, the landlord um, that the landlord then puts into an escrow account and does all of the things they are required to do with that escrow account. Um, a renter has the option to just sign up for Rhino for as little as twenty or twenty five dollars a month. 
um, pay, pays us a monthly fee on a credit card, debit card, however else you're welcome to pay. And then we turn around to the landlord and give them an insurance policy for $6,000, actually. So typically, it's twice as much as they otherwise would have received um, as an escrow um, uh, through a traditional security deposit. And when you first launched this, who did you specifically target? Did you have to educate the landlords first and then market it to the consumer? Or did you market it to the consumer as a, just a valid, like, here's here's this in lieu of a security deposit? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you know, we spent um, about a uh, year and a half, almost two years now, um, really sort of, one, building the product and understanding and getting buy-in from and support from um, many large landlords. Um, because for us, you know, obviously that's a bit of a gating issue if the landlord um, doesn't know what Rhino is or won't accept it in lieu of a security deposit. Um, you know, that that's uh, a tough, tough place for us to be as a product that they, you know, that's going to work for them. Um, and so we really started with understanding that side of the equation. Um, and, and it's also, you know, again, because as I was mentioning a few minutes ago, I think, you know, everyone more clearly and more easily understands the situation renters are in. Um, and the value proposition of Rhino to renters is a little bit more direct and literal in that, you know, it's an option to you know, help you decide how to manage your personal finances. Moving is a very expensive thing, and maybe it's not the best use of your money or most appropriate use of your money to, you know, put it into a security deposit account with your owner. Um, but that landlord piece, um, I think, is is less obvious um, and, and has taken more effort to, uh, uh, you know, get, get, the, get, get the explanation of what Rhino is for them across. Security deposits are interesting when you think about it from the, the different ways that they're used, right? You know, on the one hand, you know, landlords hold on to your security deposit if you leave the apartment in a giant mess. On the other hand, you hear about tenants, residents who often say, you know what, this they didn't ever turn the heat on. And rather than take them to court, I'm just going to cut loose in the middle of the night. And you know what, I'll sacrifice my security deposit, but it's it's the least I could pay to get the hell out of this, this bad apartment. Is that something that you're solving for? Or are there, you know, ways that security deposits have been used and in, in that you're also kind of trying to address? Yeah. So so it's not really about, um, you know, giving renters a opportunity to cut loose out of the middle of the night, right? They're still signing their lease and have to fulfill, you know, all the terms of their lease and leave any good condition when they move out. But it's Rhino as an intermediary um, being able to have um, you know, uh, more flexible terms and a different appreciation for issues that a renter may face, um, uh, you know, when dealing with move out. Does it change the dynamic by which landlords and renters engage with one another when you kind of are changing a, a called a well-worn tactic, uh, a tool in the toolkit for mitigating disputes? Like, for example, security deposit is, is an escrow account that can be used for a landlord to... Uh, you know, make good on a renter who leaves an apartment in a mess or a renter to leave in the middle of the night and, and when they're not getting served well. If you take that element away or change it for the better in at large, does that disrupt the way that renters and landlords engage with one another when they're in dispute? 
Yeah, that, you know, we get that question a lot. And I, I think, you know, the, the, what the real answer is, is that it does change it, but it actually changes it for the better in that the way Rhino works is it puts a little bit more sunshine onto an otherwise, uh, you know, dark topic, right? What happens between one renter and one landlord on any individual transaction, um, you know, happens, you know, many times maybe in a back room or just unbeknownst to anybody else. Uh, but with Rhino, when a landlord submits a claim for, say, an issue that was caused by a rent or damage at move out, let's call it, um, we'll reimburse that landlord. They're the insured. They're the ones that we're writing the policy for. Um, and that's our obligation to them. But at the same time, we now have this information about a claim that the landlord made that we're then showing to that renter every single time, 10 times out of 10, to get the renter side of the story, to get you know, Judy Smith's side of the story on, hey, here's a claim that came in. What's the issue? What happened here? Um, and depending on what that renter's side of the story is, um, governs whether we require them to reimburse us or not. So we, as a pooled insurance company, have a lot more flexibility for how to respond and deal with that renter concern or renter issue um, and that claim um, versus, um, you know, the way it's traditionally been done. And how would you describe how Rhino is different from how others are attacking the insurance industry. Yeah, sure. You know, so that was one of the things, you know, we come from, uh, you know, more of a uh, real estate and now, as you guys know, financial services background and um, insurance was something we, you know, now now know, you know, more than 95% of people probably ever want to know about the insurance marketplace um, in building, you know, Rhino as a real estate and insurance uh, business. Uh, and I think what was very important for us is, maintaining um, the sort of real estate first attitude about, you know, what what it is and what we're solving um, in that the customers are renters and landlords both. Um, and the transaction that we're a part of is a residential lease transaction. And, you know, there's a whole host of great people working on similar-ish topics, um, you know, in residential leasing and in insurance. Um, and for us, you know, when we sort of took stock at those at a point in time, you know, and over the last two years, what we feel, you know, we've really made sure to do is write a brand new insurance contract from the ground up in partnership with, you know, a billion dollar insurance carrier that's, um, uh, uh, you know, gave us an opportunity to really make sure it was tailored and fits the needs of owners and renters both, as opposed to what I think oftentimes can feel like a square peg in a round hole, um, trying to repurpose insurance concepts for real estate. And so when you talked earlier about your experience in a tech startup <clears throat> Uh, and, and then in the real estate business kind of showed you the distinct differences between the kind of old school, unchanged industry of real estate and the modern world of technology. It seems like what you entered into with Rhino is two old, unchanged industries, both real estate, which obviously is changing, and insurance, which interestingly is also seemingly having a bit of a renaissance in the technology startup world. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, I mean, I think a lot of it is, um, you, you know, times are changing. Um, and there's, you know, a whole bunch of people who have written on the topic uh, that are far smarter and more accomplished than I am. You know, one of them that comes to mind is um, Steve Case, uh, you know, in the, his book Third Wave, which came out a couple couple-ish years ago. Um, really around, you know, sort of the first wave of the internet was just getting the pipes up, putting, you know, things online. Second is about 
um, you know, consumer tech and on demand and all the fun stuff like Uber, Airbnb. And the third, you know, is and is becoming, you know, about the deeper penetration of technology into really, you know, more complex traditional industries like healthcare, like real estate, like insurance. I mean, so I think we're very much in that vein. And, you know, I think when I, um, you know, read that, that, that was, a, uh, uh, you know, one of the things I hooked on to in terms of, you know, why, why I was the right type of person for it, um, because it takes a culmination of, you know, experience and learnings to do something in a split in a space that that's that complex. And so you started, obviously, in the insurance world or assurance-based approach to security deposits. But given you know, the third wave that's coming, do you see more opportunities to apply this type of thinking to other components of the real estate transaction? Yeah, I think there's um, there are many. Um, and I think that's one of the most exciting things about the business, you know, like – all you know entrepreneurs i think we stay focused or or like all entrepreneurs should i should say um i like to think we're very focused on one foot in front of the other so for us right now um it's residential security deposits which is no small um you know task unto itself something on the order of 40 billion dollars held in residential security deposits nationally um and you know it's been quite interesting to see over the last 2 years there are competitors popping up across the globe whether it's in London or Australia or other markets um that have a similar uh you know sort of housing regulatory environment as well as insurance market environment um where there there's similar concepts emerging um so you know i'll i'll sort of tip tip towards one, give a, you know, uh, tip my hand towards one, which is commercial security deposits or something that literally every owner we meet with is, uh, you know, always asks us about is, is there an alternative like Rhino for commercial security deposits, which is interesting to say the least. I know it's, uh, it makes a ton of, ton of sense. And where do you see the next sort of market you would want to go into outside of, you know, the sort of New York market? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I mean, I think one of the really interesting things about it is um, if you look at, you know, sort of what what the makeup is of rentership in the U.S. and, you know, where people are going, you know, it's, it's, it's not a surprise because all the headlines are obvious around, you know, the flight to cities, the urbanization of America, the urbanization of the world. Um, and, um, you know, if you just sort of dig a little bit deeper than that, you know, the data, you know, confirms and then, you know, explodes those points in that, you know, half of that $40 billion I just mentioned a few minutes ago, um, in security deposits is actually only in 10 or 11 markets, um, because the concentration of real estate and the concentration of where people live and want to live over the next 10, 10 years, um, is, you know, all the usual places you'd, you'd expect. So, um, we're now in New York and New Jersey because that's also for us an important part of the greater New York metro area. Because um, of trash collection. Because because of trash collection, that's right. Um, uh, is L.A., Chicago, San Francisco, you know, Miami, uh, all of all of the typical, you know, things. If you just follow population, are, are obvious opportunities for us. And as it relates to entering a new market, or even when you look back on how you rolled out to New York. How do you get that customer adoption? How do you convince people that, wow, this is a great concept. I want to be a part of Rhino. Yeah, sure. You know, it's uh, it's funny because uh, I, I often actually think about online dating and online dating marketplace businesses um, when 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 thinking about Rhino uh, because, 
you know, it's the same sort of geography by geography company building that you have to do. Um, and, you know, instead of just having, you know, two daters, uh, you know, um, uh, in the same town that have the same level of interest in each other that want to go out on a date together, and we need to have both a renter and a landlord. Um, and so for us, it's very much about, you know, getting uh, the New York market right um, and figuring out how to how to solve for both of those sides, which, you know, we've been doing for about two months now since we, um, you know, launched Rhino in New York uh, just after Labor Day. Um, and then um, uh, repeating that in other cities with a lot of the best practices that we've developed in the New York market. Would you ever consider partnering with a like a rental focused real estate agency that then you're 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 sort of inserting yourself at the point of transaction? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I think ultimately the vision for Rhino and and you know our, our renter product is you want it to be as easy as buying you know travel insurance, right? When you book an airline ticket, um, and you know after you get your confirmation or on your confirmation screen, it offers you eight dollars to insure that flight. Um, you know that that's as seamless as it should be from a customer's perspective. Um, there's a whole bunch of reasons. You know, it takes a few steps to get there. Um, but I think, you know, integrating with agencies or brokers or other people that are involved in the leasing application, you know, uh, process um, is an obvious opportunity to really, uh, uh, you know, mo- move at a different pace or in a different direction. We've heard some interesting views on how Rhino is changing not only the insurance industry, but also the real estate industry at the same time. Coming up, we're going to get a little more personal with Parag and hear more about his story. Be right back. Are you looking to buy a home in New York City? Get more with Preview's industry-leading smart buyer rebate. Seamlessly search listings on Preview's end-to-end buyer platform, purchase your home with the expert advice of a local agent, Plus, receive up to 2% cash back thanks to Preview's Smart Buyer Commission Rebate. Smart buyers get more with Preview. Go to previewapp.com backslash buyer. That's previewapp.com backslash buyer. Parag, it's time for us to get a little more personal with the questions and... I was thinking the the whole conversation so far, you've had these very diverse experiences in your professional career from finance to public policy to online dating to insurance, real estate. What's been your favorite job or industry thus far? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I guess I would say it's what I'm doing now. Um, and, and I mean that, you know, I think more broadly than, um, any, any one thing and even more broadly than just, you know, uh, uh, Rhino, um, in that, you know, I, I think it's a little bit sort of what we were talking about, um, at the, at the, uh, you know, top of our conversation around just like trying to get closer and closer towards what you want. Um, and I, by no means, you know, you know, think I've figured that out, but I think, I'm a hell of a lot closer now than I was, you know, 10 or 12 years ago um, uh, for, a, for a variety of reasons. And I think, you know, for me, it's just been about, um, you know, confidence and understanding and, you know, being able to manage, you know, my 
sort of filling my day with topics and things and people um, that I, that I really enjoy spending time with, thinking about, um, and 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 working on. Um, yeah, Prag, you mentioned your father uh, kind of came over to the U.S., became a small business owner, CPA, real estate portfolio. So obviously, you come from an entrepreneurial family. Um, how do you think that played into your childhood, in particular, played into you ultimately deciding to go that path? Were you kind of drawn back to it? ultimately to where you are now as an entrepreneur or uh, do you think that those are unrelated? I would say it's certainly not unrelated, but I think the uh, connect the dots, um, you know, uh, is, is less obvious also. Um, I think, um, you know, we, uh, I have, I have two brothers. Um, uh, one of them is uh, also very, uh, they're both very entrepreneurial, but my oldest brother is the, He's a serial entrepreneur, and he's the co-founder, or he's the founder of a um, another real estate technology startup here in New York. Um, and you know, it definitely is something runs in the family. Um, but I think uh, you know, it's a journey, right? And and that's why I think you know, when I was twenty two, twenty three, twenty five, was not you know as apt to sort of put my finger on it and say I want to be an entrepreneur. Are you the youngest um, of the? Three? I am the youngest. Do you think yes. that? If you have two older entrepreneurial siblings, that drove you in a different direction? I would say that also played a role. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, uh, uh, you know, every, everything has some element to play. I, I'm trying to think, you know, the reason I'm struggling for is a lot of people I think are told by their parents, like, go do X or I want you to do X, especially the background I come from. My family's Indian. So a lot of friends I had growing up were like, oh, we want you to be a doctor. You're going to go be a doctor. We didn't really have any of that. Um, and it was really, uh, you know, I think to their credit, they're a little bit more trust and sort of decision making and do something that's sort of right for yourself. Um, but uh, I think over time, I definitely had a more of a gravitational pull towards self-started sort of entrepreneurship as a result of, you know, what the home environment was like and what, you know, role models in those settings, you know, traditionally looked like for me as opposed to other people. And coming, sense. coming yeah. from a multiple sibling house, you know, I have a sister myself. What was the sort of worst fight you ever had between uh, you and your siblings? Oh, it's funny, actually. I mean, uh, I don't think that we fought that much, to tell you the truth. I mean, I think it was always typically um, – we, we had a good spread between us, you know. So by, by the time I was sort of ready to fight with people, um, you know, my oldest brother was already out of the house. Um, and me and my middle brother got along quite well. We still get along quite well. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't so, you know, uh, adversarial. Um, you know, I think it was uh, – uh, yeah, it was it was more uh, we, we were we were more united against our parents, maybe, you know, at, at certain times than than we were against each other. And just looking back on our conversation so far, I've having worked in uh, the mayor's office uh, as an advisor or on, on policy for um, Michael Bloomberg. What probability would you put on Michael Bloomberg running for president in 2020? Oh man, uh, I would say zero. Unfortunately, why, yeah, that'd be why, my take. Why yeah. is that? Because he told them the other day. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have any inside knowledge other than just, uh, uh, you, you know. I mean, I think it's um, uh, if he were to do it, it would have happened already. 
Um, and I think he, you know, now that I think about it, he would have had a better shot, um, you know, uh, in the last cycle or the cycle before that, um, than he would in the next election. Um, and you know, don't, don't get me wrong. Like there will be teams polling for him to see how well he'll do and all that stuff. But I, I, my, my personal view is it's zero. And he's also, you know, he's, um, tremendous mind and great in great shape and all that stuff, you know, and, and I hope he's, you know, mentally, um, ready for it, but he's also just getting older time, you know, time takes its uh, toll. Um, and I think he's maybe 75, 76, something now. What could go wrong with a 70 something year old yeah. man in the white house? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. My personal favorite, um, that I'd like to see is actually, uh, Dwayne Johnson. I think he would make a very interesting. That is Dwayne com- the Rock Johnson. That's right. Well, he the has Rock. one of the largest Instagram yeah. followings out there. So a prerequisite to becoming president of the United States. Absolutely, and definitely yeah. a wide appeal. Uh, Parag, this is, has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, we like to ask all of our guests to you know leave us with a, a parting thought. It can be about real estate, advice for you know people that are taking on their own journeys in real estate uh, or other industries. Um, what what would be your final thought for us? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. It's been fun chatting with you guys. Um, look, we're here to make renting easier. Um, there's a lot of anxiety and agita in the process. And I think, uh, you know, everyone in the real estate marketplace is now waking up and seeing that technology can really help. Um, and so we're excited to be part of that. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, if you want to reach out and learn a little bit more about Rhino, feel free to visit us online at sayrhino.com, S-A-Y-R-H-I-N-O.com. And thanks again for having us. Thanks very much, Parag. Uh, thank you for, for listening. So for Scott Pollock. Thanks, everyone. And I'm Thomas Kutzman, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to Real Estate Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for this show or to become a sponsor, email us at realestatebizshow at mouthmedianetwork.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Real Estate Biz Show. That's Real Estate B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, realestateisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network and brought to you by Preview. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.